don't you ever wish you could just go back in time to like 2003 or 2004? Because you didn't, you barely had to do anything. Yeah, just blog. So, yeah. yeah, you just had to like blog on like some shitty WordPress template and you could stand out and, and break through a lot of the noise and, and do quite well. I often think um, about that, but then I think about what's the equivalent of that right now. You are listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast inspiring creatives of all types by giving you a glimpse into the lives and creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. And we're live. Welcome to Louder Than Words, where I'm trying my best to give you guys a look into the lives of the most innovative entrepreneurs, writers, designers, creators, artists, anybody we can find to give us a look into their creative process and how they approach things to inspire the rest of us. My name is John Benini. I'm a conversion copywriter. I have a website where you guys can check me out. I post about creating copy that drives action, headlines, button text, emails, those sorts of things. So please come and check me out. I'm at www.johnbenini.co or at Twitter at Benini84. And speaking of content and copy, today we're hanging out with Joe Lazowskis, Editor-in-Chief of Contently, one of my favorite resources online for content on content, which is super meta, but they do a better job than anybody. Contently's platform helps brands transition into being better media companies, uh, attract bigger audiences with original content, and their blog, The Content Strategist, is, this should really be on any top 10 list worth a damn, uh, quite honestly. So I'm super excited to have Joe here to sort of rap about content for a little bit and tell us how Contently does their thing and how he approaches his job. So, Joe, how goes it, man? Thanks for coming on. Pretty well, man. Thanks for the kind words about TCS. Um, it's always good to hear my ego is like two and a half sizes bigger right now than it was before this. So, that'll be good. I can get real cocky in this podcast now. <laughs> that's fine, man. We try to keep it real and just keep it uncensored. So, if it goes that way, that's fine. Uh, as I said, Contently is, is, is one of those those publications that you just know about, they're sort of just ubiquitous. You guys are everywhere. It's like um, the, the content is just so good and the presentation and the way you guys distribute and um, have done such a great job. So I know you're, you're, you know, you're a pretty young guy and uh, you're editor-in-chief over there. So I just wanted to know a little bit about like, your journey. So how did you find yourself at Contently at such a, you know, such a prime age and, and sort of what brought you there? Yeah, I mean, I guess my first foray in digital media, and I've been really into digital media since I was about 19, 20 years old. Um, my first introduction to it was just a couple blocks down the street from where I am now in Soho on Broadway. That's when I got an internship at when I was 20 at this uh, pop sex and pop culture mag called Nerve. That was like real big in the 90s and actually survived the crash. And it's since kind of petered out. Um, but I went there and like, got to interview sex writers and have editorial meetings on the, you know, we climb up the fire escape to the roof and, you know, drink like three cases of Bud Light and, you know, wrote about losing my virginity in a terribly embarrassing essay that actually got my first paycheck for it for $250. And I was like hooked after that. Um, you know, I read my school newspaper, kind of learned journalism, you know, by doing it, um, studied creative writing and rolled around the lawn at my liberal arts school. Um, but then eventually when I, when I got out of college after 
a brief foray into Teach for America. I was always working on digital media startups. So um, I helped launch uh, a couple sites as a, a founding editor-in-chief um, of the New York Egotist, um, sort of the editor-in-chief of this other online newspaper, The Faster Times, I ran for a while. And kind of when I was doing that, I came across Contently when they were in Techstars, um, you know, just our three founders hustling, trying to raise money. And I was like, damn, this is a really cool idea. It's, you know, these, you know, it's former journalist Shane Snow and, and his buddies who are creating the software that's going to connect all of my struggling writer friends out there with brands and media companies who want to pay them. And so, you know, I was down with the, the mission from the beginning. Um, and in, you know, my journey to pay the bills while starting publications was doing some consulting on the brand side, on the corporate comm side. Um, and so uh, about three and a half years ago, when Contently first got funding, um, I also did a little work as a managing editor on some like media accounts um, and brand accounts, like all of the Forbes brand voice stuff that they run. Through Contently, I worked on, I'd write for the blog now and then. I was, you know, still doing my own thing and freelancing. Um, and then about like a year and a half ago, uh, Sam Slaughter, our VP of content, like asked me out for coffee and was like, hey, do you want to join, you know, do you want to run TCS? I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, sure, absolutely. Only thing is I'm going to Israel in five days. So actually the first month I ran uh, TCS, I, was, I did it from Tel Aviv while hanging out at the beach mostly. And uh, then, then a few months later, I got hired full time, um, and you know we've kind of we've kind of grown more ambitious since then. Posted more, we started another magazine, you know, blog magazine, whatever you want to call it, the Freelancer. Um, we've upped our print mag to four times a year, and that's kind of gotten bigger with you know multiple iterations. We just did two issues, um, two versions of our current issue, the West Coast issue and the Finance issue for spring, um, and you know we've got a lot of other big plans in the work. So it's really been, you know, fantastic, you know, especially seeing this company grow too. Like I was employee number 13 when I came on full time in December, 2013. And now we're at 85 mammals. You count all the dogs in the office too. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been a really great place where I have a lot of resources to do, you know, a high standard of content and, because we're founded by journalists, um, even though, like, right, this is publications run by a, a you know a tech company, a software as a service company. We have a ton of editorial independence as well. Um, so it, you know, it's really a dream spot uh, for for someone like me to land in. Sure, yeah, and I came from a journalism background as well. So, uh, you know, from my experiences, editor in chief was widely considered a hapless job. It was it was like something that in traditional journalism, in traditional media, it was just something that sort of happened to you after you'd spent so many years in the business, right? So there wasn't a lot of sleep. In a lot of cases, it wasn't a lot of money. Those guys, from my experience, they just weren't particularly happy guys. How different of a role is that? You know, because you see a lot of guys from traditional media making the transition to online publications and, and digital marketing. Dan Lyons is a guy I can think of right off the top of my head. But so how is that role that you're in now different from that traditional editor and chief role well i mean like dan lyon's transition made him fucking miserable so fucking miserable he's writing a book about it right now <laughs> <All right. laughs> um 
But yeah, I mean, I'd say, you know, in writers in general, like we like to bitch and drink and bitch while drinking, but it's, you know, it's, it's always long hours running a pub if you care about it. Right. Cause you're always going to be paranoid about things going wrong. Like I had, I had a nightmare the other night about just like our, our SEO Yoast plugin titles being off. And then I was at work on Monday and like trying to figure out whether that was something I actually noticed or not. Um, so, you know, it gets in your head, but it's, it, you know, this is way different, I think, than even the other editor-in-chief jobs I've had at, you know, other other media startups. Um, just because when you are, when the business model or when your publication is being funded by, you know, a larger business or larger business objectives, like the budget is just way bigger than a lot of us are accustomed to. Um, there isn't that sense of like doom that's at a lot of legacy media companies that, you know, our budget's only going to shrink, our staff is only going to shrink. You don't have those looming cutbacks. There's a, a great sense of optimism, a great sense of like innovation and experimentation in just trying new things and, you know, the freedom to fail because it isn't like we need to pull in, you know, 20 million page views this week to, you know, to meet our, our, our quota and avoid these massive layoffs that's going to cripple our team. You know, you have a little more leeway. At the same time, you have new challenges that come with, you know, proving the, the business worth of doing content. Um, but what's nice about what we do is like the stuff that we figure out it's also the stuff our readers are trying to figure out. So, you know, if you figure something out, we're like, oh, cool, that's a good article. Yeah, that's that's the fun part about content is your job is your subject matter. So it's 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 always turning over on itself. Talk about, you know, because, you know, your guys, the quality that Contently puts out to me is really what sets you guys apart. So talk about your editorial guidelines. You know, you're running the content strategist now. Either the ones that you've sort of put in place or the ones that are already there, it doesn't matter. Talk about the editorial guidelines and what's expected of your team and yourself when it comes to hitting publish. Yeah, I mean that's that's really one of the first things that um you know I think we did when when I when I came on and we really started to invest more in content. Because before this it was just sort of like a you know pretty basic blog. It was only getting about 20,000 readers. Now we're, we're up over 2,000, 200,000. Um, so we've seen like a nice 10 times growth in the last, uh, last year or so. Um, and you know, a lot of that has, has come from trial, trial and error of figuring out what works. I mean, our standard, you know, you have your basic standards in terms of like your actual editorial guidelines. It's like your style guide and our disclosures. Like we have to write about a client. Like we have very clear disclosures that we put on that because we want to, you know, maintain, the trust in our editorial. It's not just, you know, shilling for people that can tell me works with, because that's, you know, something we never do because we lose our readers trust. Um, then we also in general, you know, we, we want to be putting out a lot of original reporting. Um, we want to say something new. Uh, I, you know, I think we, we learned when we've tried it that we can't, that newsjacking really just doesn't work for us. Um, you know, writing about the same story with the same basic blurb that like ad week and ad age, um, and the drum we're all putting out, you know, isn't really providing a lot of extra value out into the world. Um, so, you know, when we, we try and provide deep analysis. Um, we try and really bring something new to our readers that they're not going to get anywhere else. Um, 
I, you know, that's how to say there aren't exceptions that, I mean, sometimes you do take, you know, take an easy win, like resharing an infographic. That's really dope that someone else has made. Cause we see that our readers respond well to that. And that's kind of like a bit of curation we're providing. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's like giving them something that they're not going to find anywhere else, a perspective that they're not going to find other places. Um, just try and say something different. Yeah, and that goes right into this next one is, is what do those content planning meetings or those brainstorming meetings look like with your team? Because, you know, coming up with topics, you know, where there's so much out there is, you know, can prove to be challenging. So how do you guys come up with topics and more importantly, unique ways to present them? So we have a weekly edit meeting. Uh, same thing everyone has, has fucking done since the beginning of time. Uh, get together in a room with a big wooden table and a whiteboard and, you know, talk about what we could cover. Um, also hip chat, you know, we're like every other tech startup out there. We're in hip chat all day and we're sharing articles and we're bullshitting and we're figuring out, you know, interesting angles we can take on pieces. Um, and kind of working out that thought process with our small edit team. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it's reading a lot. I kind of keep a, big Google doc of just story ideas I'm always adding to um, that I'm sending out to our writers that I'm sharing with our team here because we use a lot of free we use a lot of freelancers from Contently's network um, as well as you know stuff we produce in-house and yeah I mean I never find like coming up with story ideas to be the hard part it's figuring out you know the right depth and angle that you're going to take with them um, getting people to talk because especially in content marketing, everyone's really skittish about talking candidly about the work that they're doing, even if it's good work. Um, and then also, you know, I, I'd love to publish 10 pieces a day, but we're generally doing three or four or so, figuring out the right ones to pick. And so, yeah, I want to ask you about that because, you know, you do have a lot of brands that do put out a ton of content and uh, or, or brands that, you know, have finally sort of really late majority here gotten on the bus with content. Um, so I want to ask you about content saturation. Most times I think really this is just an excuse. However, it is something that I think needs to be considered for brands who, you know, especially ones that are finally coming around to accepting that they're publishers. What's the best way... Um, to get around and, and get uh, avoid getting lost in the deluge of content that's being published every single day. Um, it may be, you know, I don't want to suggest that it's easier for a brand like Contently with the equity that you guys have built up, but at one point you guys had no followers and no email subscribers either. So what what do you guys do to sort of get through that deluge of content that's that's being published every single day? I agree with you that content saturation is an excuse used a lot by people who want a reason to not put forth the effort to, you know, try something new and to publish something. But, you know, it's absolutely true. Like there's a ton of content out there. Um, you know, there's all the stats, like there's as much content created every 48 hours now as there was between the beginning of time and 2003. Um, but you just need to really hold yourself to a higher standard. Um, and, you know, I was interviewing Rand Fishkin, uh, the wizard of Moz, as he's known, uh, who, who do absolutely fantastic content, uh, a couple months ago. You know, he says there's really not a lot of value in a mediocre blog post anymore. And that's true um, across, you know, a lot of different channels. You know, it's not going to do much for you in terms of search. 
unless you're getting a lot of visibility, a lot of shares, a lot of backlinks. Um, it's not going to do a lot for you in terms of acquiring newsletter subscribers because people aren't going to sign up for your newsletter because they just read this mediocre piece you put out. They're only going to sign up and you know choose to invite you into one of the most personal um, you know pieces of the internet they have, their, their email inbox, if you've just given them something great that they're going to want more of. Uh, you're not going to do much on social if you're just putting out crap. So you you absolutely need to, to shoot for those high, that higher standard and also to try out new formats, like try out quizzes, try out comics, um, try out infographics, try out video. The important thing is really to be very closely tracking all the different story types and story lengths and topics and writers and all these different attributes that go into the content you're creating see what's performing best see what's performing best on what channel and then double down on what's working um that's what all the great digital media companies right now are doing that's what the brands that are fairly sophisticated and smart about this like red bull and g and coke are doing um and if you're not being very smart about content measurement and optimization right now you're you know you're playing with a huge handicap i agree and i and i actually talked to or i saw rand uh bumped into him at a conference last september in boston and he he was a, a good deal of his talk uh was really centered around what you just said and really i think it's like the novelty of you know, oh, I'm going to subscribe to this. It used to just be the exchange of information. It used to be, you know, oh, this guy puts out a block. I'm going to subscribe. But now that there's so much of it, our natural defense mechanism, I feel like, is we have to like boil it down and find where the value is. So now it's like if you're not, if your blog post isn't insanely good, nobody's going to subscribe. So I think he did make a point that ask yourself if this is one of the best things you've ever written. If it isn't, don't publish it. And it's, yeah. Uh, that's that's tough because brands are just like trying to play the volume game, and it's uh, it, it it does it it does have diminishing returns, and then they feel like it doesn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, on a side note, like, don't you ever wish you could just go back in time to like two thousand three or two thousand four? Because you didn't, you barely had to do anything. Yeah, just blog. So, like, yeah. yeah, you just had to like blog on like some shitty WordPress template. And you could stand out and, and break through a lot of the noise and, and do quite well. I often think um, about that, but then I think about what's the equivalent of that right now. And I don't know if there is one um, that's quite as powerful as blogging would have been in 2003. But like, what in 10 years would we be saying, man, if you can go to 2015, what could, if, if only we had started doing that then? And I constantly wrestle with that in my head, but I'm just not sure if there's something... If there is some, if there is a qu- equivalent of, of that, you know, I could be virtual reality. I mean, that's like the obvious one that everyone's saying, like, what's the next big platform? Um, I don't know if like the people who, if virtual reality does take off, the people who are really investing in creating virtual reality content right now, they could be really freaking rich in about five or 10 years. Um, yeah, but blogging, but, yeah. blogging was so much cheaper, right? It was just like you could just be a guy with your – well, it wouldn't have been a MacBook probably because that, that wasn't cool then. It probably would have been like some Dell or uh, HP laptop. And all, all you needed was WordPress or whatever it was and, and you were good to go. Um, it, it's it's just funny. And and it, and it's it, that's, that's really like distribution, right? Like um, publishing content in 2003, distribution was wide open. You just put it out there. It was everywhere. And now it's like you have to work at it. Um, and that's that's actually what I was going to ask you about is, you know, what kinds of things does Contently do? Um, and 
things that you do that others can do when it comes to distributing your content to generate more attention. Things besides, you know, I don't know how much paid, you know, advertising you guys might do. You guys, you know, have a ton of traction. But what do you guys do? Because you don't just hit publish. This is a mistake a lot of brands make. They hit publish and they take their hands off the keyboard like, all right, let's see if this thing flies. And that doesn't work for anybody. So what kinds of things do you guys do to ensure that, you know, you guys are generating traction? It's your email list is your most important thing. I know it sounds so old school, um, but that's an audience you really have a direct line to. Like you don't truly control the relationship with your readers on, you know, your audience on Facebook or Twitter um, or Pinterest or any network. You're, that's, that's an audience you're ultimately renting from those gatekeepers who, you know, as we've seen with Facebook, could screw you over at, at any moment. Um, your email list, though, is something that you control. And that, to us, is the most valuable thing that we have. Uh, and it's something that most brands are, are doing a pretty poor job of right now is building a dedicated email list for um, their content and then really respecting that list and not just like throwing e-commerce offers um, towards those people when they promise content in the first place. But yeah, I mean, it's like you, we, we really like using SumoMe, um, which has a very smart algorithm for serving up, uh, you know, these kind of like little scroll boxes that pop up in the corner of the screen um, or like occasionally a list builder pop up uh, to, to drive email signups for our newsletter. Um, and that's, you know, every day we send that out and that, uh, that email to our list of, of 60,000 is what sets off that like wildfire of traffic because our re- people from our email list read it, email list read it, then they share it, that story on their social networks. And that just creates a ripple effect. Um, in terms of paid, we, we do do, we don't do a lot of paid, uh, but we do choose like our most popular posts a little bit on Facebook, which has, uh, has a nice compounding effect because you, you know, say like, you choose to promote your stuff on Facebook. Um, the, the really good stuff we promote it generally ends up getting a lot of organic shares, like right off the, the sponsored post unit on Facebook. So like, you know, for example, uh, I wrote this piece on Buzzfeed, um, Buzzfeed's new like social, uh, social sharing technology that they put out. I put like a hundred dollars behind that on Facebook, um, and, you know, it ends up getting an organic reach of over 30,000, um, in addition to the paid reach, but, you know, for a hundred bucks, it like drives, ends up driving thousands of, of, uh, you know, clicks to our site. Then we see through Contemly Insights, which is the, you know, content analytics, um, suite that, uh, we built in house that those readers are actually staying for, you know, two and a half minutes on average. And most of them are finishing the article, which is a sign that's actually quality traffic, uh, we're seeing from our email signups that, you know, like five to 7% of them are signing up for the email. So we're getting email subscribers off all that. So off just that, like that really small investment in, in paid Facebook distribution, we see just a huge windfall of organic traffic, of quality paid traffic, of email signups, which is people who are going to be loyal and they're going to return to us. Um, so that's, that's one paid tool that I'm a big fan of. Uh, we also, I know on the brand side, uh, from what I've seen talking to, to some of my homies on our, our distribution team and they're, you know, wizards um, at headline rating and the Facebook algorithm. And they, you know, they know how to drive like really high quality outbrand traffic uh, with a damn low uh, CPC um, that's often higher quality than the search social 
and direct and email traffic that a lot of the brands that Catelli work with are getting. So those are two tools that I, I think are in terms of paid are good if you're trying to juice um, your traffic early on, which a lot of brands should. I mean, listen, like if you're spending $500 to create a piece of content, you might as well spend an extra fit and you think it's really good. You might as well spend an extra hundred bucks to make sure that, you know, two or three times as many people see that piece of content, especially if you're young and you don't have much of an email list yet. I mean, it just makes sense. It's just using your media budget in a smart way. Oh, absolutely, and and I think uh, you know, just from listening to you talk, the the how aware you guys are of the statistics and how far people are reading into posts and the click through rate. That's 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 huge a huge reason why brands are or are not successful because they just put content out there, and if it's not measured. You can't have any sort of predictive, predict, predictive analysis going forward on what you should create. And it sounds like it really sort of informs your guys' entire strategy going forward. Um, yeah, I mean, these metrics, like, you know, I, I think most people who read about this stuff a lot know them. Like, it's not some magic formula. But, yeah, you're totally right that the brands who are smart about it, because, um, you know, I interview them a lot. I talk to them a lot. Uh, they're all looking at, at fairly similar stuff in terms of the depth that people are reading, in terms of email signups, in terms of shares, in terms of average finish. You know, and like there's, it, it's not that hard to, to find an analytics suite, be it ours or someone else's, that'll, that'll help you do that. And I love Outbrain too, so I just wanted to throw that in there. That uh, I'll second that. That that's a great tool, and 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 probably more targeted, like you said, than than doing the traditional social or, or um, you know, search ads. So uh, I'd actually say social is definitely more targeted right now. Like the level of targeted that you can get with Facebook since the beginning of the year is really impressive. And like LinkedIn, if you're trying to do some super targeted B two B, LinkedIn is where it's at. Like you can pick. Like I want to talk to VPs at you know, SAP, you can have that level of targeting. Um, the CPC is certainly higher than it is on other networks, but because the targeting is so good, because you have such a professional network, like for B2B, LinkedIn is where it's at. No, LinkedIn, yeah, because you could segment by job title. That's And that's yeah. huge too, yeah. Uh, so, you know, what do you think people are missing right now when it comes to, we sort of hinted at this before, when it comes to different platforms and channels to try, because content is not just blogging. And I think a lot of people just, you know, make that mistake. And you guys highlight a lot of people on the content strategist. Uh, one of my favorite ones recently, you guys put out your case stories and you talked about the Marriott and how they put out a travel magazine and sort of, you know, it's a, it's a parallel market, but by doing so, you're attracting eyeballs to your brand, the right eyeballs. And that really uh, sends a great message to people that it's not just about blogging. There's content is so expansive. So what do you think people are missing right now when it comes to, you know, these are some platforms and channels that you should try? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of brands are, are getting their video game together well. I mean, you know, you can Google the statistics, like online video is blowing up. Um, it's something we see, you know, I know our business side sees a lot more demand for it contently. And like that Marriott um, case story is a prime example where like we had a lot of, you know, a lot of prominent bloggers like telling very interesting stories about New Orleans and the culture of New Orleans, the kind of voodoo history um, for Marriott in addition to, you know, some blog posts and some longer form stories. I think the thing is you need to try a lot of different things because you're never quite sure what's going to work. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of things under the sun that brands could try. I'd like to see brands even try like more old school comics. Um, podcasts are, you know, something that's really hot right now across the landscape, especially in marketing. Um, 
And, you know, I think that's something that, that brands should try. Uh, man, you know, there's a lot of interesting, you know, short form content you can create for Snapchat and Vine um, and Instagram. And, you know, seen a, a number of interesting like Instagram web series from Denny's and The Gap uh, in recent months that are using the medium and the constraints of the medium in an interesting way. I don't, you know, I think that right now, if you look like there are brands trying just about everything, there are a lot of brands who aren't trying, uh, you know, a, a myriad of mediums. And that's, that can be problematic because you don't really know what's going to work best, right? You have your best guess with your content strategy, but like any good basketball coach, you need to be constantly, you know, crunching the data, looking at the advanced stats, looking at like, you know, in basketball right now, there's sports uh, VU, which is like the high tech cameras, which to me are like the equivalent um, that follow players around, which is like the equivalent of the kind of deep analytics software we have right now. So you need to be really taking advantage of all this immense amount of very smart data you have uh, at your fingertips and try a lot of different things. And then, as I said, double down on what works best. Um, but yeah, there's no real limits to, to what's going to work really well. Yeah, it should be interesting to see how, how podcasting evolves because right now it's, it's not as measurable you know, as, as marketers would like it. And, uh, it should be interesting to see, like, does iTunes, uh, work in some sort of paid advertising where you can sort of get your podcast featured on the main page. But I think I kind of like it maybe without that right now, because I think it's the closest thing to a meritocracy that we're going to get in content right now, because it really is like the good stuff that people are listening to is, is the most visible. And I don't think you're going to see that anywhere else. So it should be interesting to see how podcasting evolves and, and, and can help out, uh, you know, marketers as we go forward. Um, so I thought this would be a, f- a fun question to throw in here for you because um, I- I'm always interested to hear how the guys working in content, um, you know, would operate, you know, working for the brands that they serve. So if you left Contently, say you left Contently tomorrow to go work for the types of brands that you help, what would your first 90 days look like in, in building a content strategy? Man, that's a, that's a good question. You know, I, I, I like to, I like to imagine I'd go to a, a brand that's, you know, pretty forward thinking about content right now, but there are a number of first steps you have to take. I mean, first you really need to do an audit of all the internal resources you have already. So I'd have to really look at like, what are the assets, both in terms of content, but both in terms of the knowledge within a company that I have, like you look at GE reports, which is probably my favorite brand mag. And Tomas Kellner is a former editor at, at, uh, at Forbes. What he's built there is basically been built off, you know, his ability to go inside GE and, you know, leverage the incredible technology and, and smart people that are, that are doing incredible things there and tell great stories that no one else can get at because he has this inside ask, you know, this inside access to the company. Um, so I try and would try and find essentially my equivalent there. A lot of it too is like, you know, relationship building with people because the biggest challenge that a lot of brands face is just getting content out the door. Um, and a lot of times that's due to uh, the approval process. Um, so I'd probably, you know, get drunk with my lawyers maybe day <laughs> two uh, and get really chummy with them and, you know, get their numbers so I can ring them up and be like, yo, where's my piece? Where's this getting improved? Um, you know, I, I, look probably to get a, a strong team around me as possible, whether, you know, 
through freelancers um, or through in-house people. I'd probably, it sounds like such a, a shill for my own company. I probably would try and get contently because I'm so addicted to our software from, uh, you know, just a running publication standpoint at this point. Like I don't know what I would do without our calendar and workflow and text editor and inline comment system and analytics that just like make my job 50 times easier than it was when I was running off like Google docs and email. Um, but you know, short of that, uh, try and piece together some sort of equivalent, uh, software system to make, you know, that whole workflow within my company very easy. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I'd really try and get as much buy-in to be as ambitious as possible to take as many risks as possible. I think that branded content right now is incredibly safe. Um, that there's so much more that brands can be doing. Um, and there's so much more risk they can take just in terms of simple things like, you know, I interviewed Seth Goen a few months ago. And what he advocated is that, like, if you're a brand, just freaking put your content team in a separate building down the street. Give them that room to breathe. Don't hover over them. Let them be creative. Let them do their thing. You know, hire some really smart editorial people, some really smart video people, just really smart content people, and give them a budget and let them, you know, give them, you know, the guidelines so that you won't get your ass sued, but give them the freedom to do great stuff. And so I, you know, I, I push for an equivalent amount of freedom or as much as I could possibly get. Um, because honestly, I, I don't know if I could survive more than 90 days if I was working in a really uh, restrictive creative environment. Yeah. I think where you see a lot of, where you see a lot of companies do that wrong to Seth's point is they treat the, the content people sort of as an extension of the PR team. And uh, obviously that's a mistake and they just, they, they don't, it's, it's not a marketing function anymore at that point. Um, so I think the companies that treat their marketers and content people as publishers and not PR people, uh, that, that's, that's when you see, you know, the people that get the autonomy to do, you know, cool, unique and successful things. Um, so tell me about any cool tools or apps that you use for content creation, writing, et cetera, you know, besides, uh, besides contently. Yeah. Uh, right now I'm really hot on, I like co-schedules headline analyzer. That's one I really like this week. Um, it basically like analyzes your headlines for power words and common words and emotional words and also like the balance of words as well as like length and characters. Um, so that's like that's kind of fun for for headline writing. Um, I like BuzzSumo uh, for uh, just kind of seeing like around certain keywords and topics what's getting shared the most. Kind of helps you like discover see some of the low hanging fruit that's out there for stuff your audience is craving. Um, I think it's really something that like helps us come up with our our better, more creative pieces. But for kind of seeing like the 101, you know, 201 kind of stuff that people are struggling with and, and sharing a lot and craving. Uh, that's pretty helpful. Uh, what else? I mean, I've already mentioned Sumo Me for email capture. Um, Opbandit is a pretty cool tool for like an optimizely type on-site headline, um, headline optimization, like A-B testing and much different variations. Uh yeah, uh, Bizzo's integration with LinkedIn, if 
you want to get into really dorky B2B stuff is pretty cool in terms of one, they have really in-depth analytics about who's reading your content across like marketing uh, segments, like industries and uh, job level. Uh, so they have cookies from hell right now and uh, or cookies on steroids. And um, yeah, I'd say that's about it off the top of my head. Those are the ones that kind of got me all hot and bothered right now. Yeah, those are great. BuzzSumo is great too because yeah, like you said, you could see the low-hanging fruit, but you could also see – you can identify gaps because you can type in the the domains of your competitors and see what they're not writing about. So it's like you kind of see opportunity to to sort of sneak in and and you know steal some mindshare around topics that aren't being talked about. A little more risk yeah. in that because you're not sure if if it resonates. But if you know your audience well enough, it, it could be helpful. The co schedule thing, I haven't. I know co schedule, but I didn't know the headline analyzer. Is that is that a is that like a free thing or, or is that part? Yeah, of it's way? totally it's totally free. I have to check um, that out. That sounds really cool. Yeah, definitely check it out. Yeah, also SpyFu is cool too for seeing um, the SEO keywords that you dominate relative to your competitors and like how many keywords you're ranking for relative to your competitors. It's like the ugliest site in the world, but it's really cool technology. It kind of makes me trust me more, trust it more because it's so ugly. <laughs> like it seems like it was built with some really smart guys with absolutely no no cares for design. Mozbar is pretty good too for that. Um, you know, Mozbar from from Moz, obviously, they, they kind of give you the uh, uh, you know the the you know the page authority of of different pages on your competitors' websites on your own website. Uh, that's pretty helpful too. Yeah, the the SEO the SEO plugins and the SEO tools don't send to, don't tend to be very sexy, but um, you know the technical SEO stuff is 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 usually so involved that it doesn't need to be for it to to be you know widely used and accepted. Uh, what about um, what about like books? What kind of books do you recommend for people trying to improve the quality of the content that they put out? Uh, approaching approaching media publishing in general. Um, you you digging any authors or, or books right now or, or in the past? Uh, I would, that people could check out. I would say read stuff that isn't marketing books. Um, you're probably like if you're working in this field, reading and thinking about that stuff so much all day. Like go home and just read something really good. You know, if you want a good summer project, like read War and Peace. I know that sounds really pretentious. Um, it's actually like a really entertaining book, beautiful language. And I think that'll, that'll just help the quality of your writing in general is to read really good storytelling, really good fiction. Um, you know, read or read, you know, really like good nonfiction. Read some David Foster Wallace, read some David Sedaris. Um, I just finished David Carr's Night of the Gun, which was like, holy shit the best book about, you know, personal writing and journalism ever. It's basically David Carr, uh, you know, reports on his own life, uh, especially the years when he was, you know, a huge uh, alcoholic and crack addict. And so many of his memories were, you know, were kind of addled from that experience. But we all, you know, morph our own memories to to fit our needs. So he went back and reported on his life. And it's just an incredible book. from, you know, really the, the titan of media writing, um, may you rest in peace. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just read really good writers. Uh, a lot of marketing and business books out there aren't that well written. And, you know, I think if you're gonna like sit down and dive into something make sure the words on the page really pop and will inspire you to up your game as a writer. 
I'm surprised you didn't plug Smart Cuts by, by Shane. By Shane. Um, many, I, I got <laughs> plugged Smart Cuts. Um, yes, absolutely read Smart Cuts. It's a great book. Shane Snow, um, uh, which would be Joe's boss. So uh, yeah, yeah, my boss, my good friend. <laughs> hopefully, he won't hear this and slap me. <laughs> but I, I agree, though. I think uh, I read. Uh, I've been I've been reading uh, a lot of. I've been on a, a Bill Bryson kick of late. I don't know if you read uh, Tales from a Small Town. He also wrote Walk in the Woods, and it's it's all uh, you know. They're all memoirs, but it's and, you learn, and it has nothing to do with marketing or business. But um, you know, one of them, he just travels around the country. But not in the places you would assume. He goes to every like small, nameless town you've never heard of and just talks about his experiences. And it literally it gives you such a good look into to storytelling in a different form and something that you can, you know, apply to, you know, whatever your industry is that could be different, you know, than 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 to your point than what everyone else is reading. Yeah. I mean, um, I will say like some like one th- speaking of like Shane, one genre, you know, because he kind of does like a little bit of like a Malcolm Gladly, like you know, pops eye feel to his writing. Um, you know, what Shane is really good at, Simon Malcolm Gladwell is really good at it, and those types of writers is, you know, diving into really like interesting and complex subjects, but always starting with a story. Um, and I think there's a lot you can learn from reading those types of writers and those types of books who delve into really interesting and complex issues, but in a way that's, that's very deeply um, ingrained in storytelling and in narratives leading you through the book. Um, you know, if I read another like marketing blog post that starts by quoting a CMI stat, I'm going to shoot myself in the head. <laughs> um, we have like the leads in marketing content right now are freaking terrible. And I, I don't know. I think everyone should just read some writers who start with really great engrossing narratives so we can stop this epidemic. <laughs> I agree. How about productivity hacks? So when it comes to writing, everyone, you know, some of the, some of our processes look pretty ugly. Some people are distracted very easily. Some people write articles in forty five minutes. You know, what does your process look like? And do you have any productivity hacks um, that work personally for you when you're writing? Wake up early and write. Um, it's a common one, but that's the one I use the most. I have a lot of trouble writing in the office. You know, there's just like a lot going on. Um, a lot of distractions. So I tend to write early in the morning or, or after work. Um, yeah, it's just like get that silence around you. Don't have your email open. Don't have HipChat open. Put your phone somewhere across the room on silent. Um, you know, just let your mind focus on, on the words and the ideas and go at it. But yeah, I mean, like it's really easy to find excuses not to write. Just, you know, just start typing. So, like, you know, as David Carter said, like, the best antidote for writing block is writer's block is just type. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, you, just even even about what you're doing right now, like, just describe your surroundings. And it, it really, just the, the physical act of typing or writing, because uh, I like to keep uh, moleskin journals on me at all times. I just like the, uh, I don't know, there's something visceral about the the process of writing something down. I, I feel like I remember it more or I'm able to, um, I feel like I'm more separated from it. Like I write it down and I could look at it unbiased and uh, it's probably something strange that, you know, we all have our, our, our little intricacies, I guess, that, that help us. But um, yeah. Like, do you actually like, do you actually not lose most of the stuff you write down? Because <laughs> that's my problem with Moleskins is like, I'll never actually like remember to come back <laughs> to it. Enough. Well, my problem is, see, I mean, I, I, I have a backpack that I carry around, so I'll keep like, 
I have like two or three of the small ones and then like one big one in there. I don't really know what the point of having different size ones is. I, I, it's just very... Well, they come in three packs. So. Yeah, well, yeah, but I don't, I don't buy them like that. I just, <laughs> it's, like, I, it's like I'm very esoteric. I like to just hold them and, and use them. But um, no, nah, I, I, my problem is I don't remember which one I wrote what I was trying to look for in. So I'm, you know, rifling through three or four moleskins trying to find the note that I put down. Um, but no, I haven't lost any yet. So knock on wood, but, um, I, I end up recording everything in Evernote or something like that, uh, right afterwards. So the, the chances of me losing something forever are, are, are slim, but, uh, it's always the risk you take, I guess. Right. And not having something on, 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 in the cloud somewhere. That's smart. I think my problem with that is usually that my backpack is disgusting. There's like Mardi Gras beads and sand and like dice in there. I don't even know what's going on. I'll just lose it forever. It's an access, so, so, I, so I write notes on my phone. Acts as inspiration. You know, it acts as inspiration. Um, so I wanted to like end with this because, you know, I've, I've read your stuff for a while and you're a tremendous writer. So how do you view being a great writer? Do you think being a great writer and or a content producer is something that you've achieved or do you think it's more of a continuous process? And, and if you do think it's a continuous process, how do you sort of, you know, keep mastering the craft day by day? I, I really appreciate that. Uh, I, I don't, I don't consider myself a great writer by, by any means. Um, I, I think I'm an improving writer. Uh, you know, I think you, you work on it day after day, you know, I'm doing like what every 27 year old writer out there is doing, you know, like, Working, you know, working on my book at the mor- in the morning, and then doing my work writing, and, and trying to always look at, you know, things with a fresh perspective, um, and think about how I can do better. You know, read really great writers. I think it's the best inspiration um, that you can have. And yeah, I mean, like I, I don't know if I'll ever feel that I'm a great writer, um, but I always want to feel like I'm a writer that's getting better and that's still passionate about getting better. And honestly, it's something I, you know, I, I plan to do until the day I die. I can't possibly imagine life without trying to write or tell stories in some way. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's the thing that makes waking up worth it. So yeah, I mean, I think if, if you want to get in this game, you have to be hungry to just keep getting better and it's never really be satisfied with anything that you've done. And you were afraid of coming across as too pompous at the beginning of this. I think <laughs> that that was a great answer. Um, yeah, I I think that any writer maybe that that thinks they've they've got it figured out probably has stopped learning, uh, and I think that's probably the biggest part for. They're, they're for also the, as an editor, they're also the biggest pains in the asses to uh, work with because because they, they give they you work. <laughs> well, they hand you work with a bow tied up on it, and they're like, "This is done." And really, it's just like nothing's ever done. <laughs> you know, it's it's there's, there's always something that could be improved upon, or uh, when when a piece of writing is 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 handed in, and and even when it's published, I don't know if anything's ever perfect. It's just at some point you have to be like, you know, uh, I think it was uh, uh, there's this great quote. I have this book. I'm obsessed with Saturday Night Live. My girlfriend got me the 40th anniversary book for for my birthday, and there's a quote from Lauren Michaels in there where he says, um, you know, Saturday Night Live doesn't go up at 11.30 because it's ready. It goes up because it's 11.30. And I think being a content writer, there's a little bit of that in us where eventually you sort of have to separate yourself and and just put it out there and let everyone else decide how it is. So I don't think anything ever is perfect, but uh, being a guy in your position, you sure as hell try. 
You just gotta fucking ship it sometimes, yeah. Exactly. Well, Joe, uh, I really oh, there's one of your mammals in the background you were talking about earlier. One yeah, the <laughs> they want in. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming to hang out for a while. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for coming and sharing your stories and and the the things that you use and and how contently approaches things is really fascinating. Thanks for coming on and hanging out with us. I right, thanks, man. Appreciate it. And for everyone else, thanks for listening. You can go ahead and subscribe if you like this episode, rate us, share it with your friends, and be sure to check back soon because we're going to have more uh, great guests just like Joe. So for everyone listening, uh, so long, and we will see you next time. Bye.